Most often, the brightest smiles come from those who've struggled the most. What's behind your smile? Let's open up and talk about what's really going on behind the smile. And sometimes it's okay to fake it until we make it. I'm Bonnie Woodrick. Join me to gain insight on how many of us hide behind the smile to get through painful and difficult times. My podcast is a safe place where others can share their stories and discuss how opening up rather than hiding behind a smile allows for growth and happiness. Today I'm talking with Jill Reed, founder of the online support group, Broken People, whose purpose is to support others who may feel broken. In Joe's new book, Broken Like Me, an insider's toolkit for mending broken people, he provides the reader his story and tools that have helped him, and at times, kept him alive. I'm very curious to hear more of Joe's story and what being broken means to him. So I'm so excited to have Joe Reed in studio today. He is a new author of a book, Broken Like Me, an insider's toolkit for mending broken people. Welcome, Joe. So glad to be here. This is awesome. Yeah, well, we're so glad to have you because you're, this is your first book. Yes. It seems like you wrote it fairly quickly. No. No? Okay. <laughs> I didn't. Um, yeah, it, a lot happened in the last three or four months, but I started in, in uh, February of 2018. Okay. Um, so I don't know if three years is quickly, but for me, it felt like a really long time. I don't know. I think, well, it took me like 15 to write mine. Be- oh, wow. Only because I started journaling, okay. which yeah. you talk so much in your book, yes, but we'll, we'll get to that. So this book was born out of your story, and you write about things that made your life easier. Yeah. And before you wrote the book, mm-hmm. you have an online peer support group called Broken People. Yes. Tell me about your support group. Yeah, so it's kind of like, it was actually the book started first. Um, I was working with uh, a guy out of our Daily Bread Ministries, and I said, I, w- I need to write a book, and we can get into the story of why that happened if you want to later. But uh, and he's like, well, if you want to have an impact, the book is only going to be able to reach the readers of the book. So, you know, I feel like you should start a ministry. And I'm like, ah, there's so many ministries out there. I, I feel like we need better people to manage the ministries we have. And I was like, that's not the type of... Uh, a community I want to reach. Um, like, I don't want to be pigeonholed into people that will quote unquote attend the ministry. Like, I, there's so many more people that feel broken, like me, <laughs> title of the book, um, that I wanted to reach and not just, not just people that were, that were similar to my lifestyle or whatever, you know. So, um, I started writing the book and I, I had a really bad case of pneumonia. Uh, in 2018, it was called organized pneumonia, or some people call it boop, where I was in a hospital for four days. And I just busted out the draft for that book in those four days, 99 pages of just scribbles. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then um, I had done an art prize piece in 2016 where a group of people came together and we built a 17-foot tall beer bottle that focused on uh, disability, focused on mental health, focused on um, uh, substance abuse. And I called our team Broken People because we were just a a bunch of people with, with a myriad of past. And I was like, well, if I'm going to have a group and it's going to deal with mental health or whatever, I'm at my lowest point. That's how I feel. I feel broken. So I know not everybody that deals with a mental illness um, can associate or even likes the term broken because it kind of seems insulting a little bit. But there are people out there that can relate to me and my feeling of brokenness that get it 
and I want to connect with those people. So that's why I do, that's what I, that's why I created that because I knew there were people. I, I knew there were more people like that than just me, and it ended up being more than just people with a mental health disorder, but people that that deal with abusive relationships or um, substance abuse issues or just a, a myriad of things. It's 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 crazy the the variety of people that are there, including people that don't really have any struggles at all, but just want to be an encouragement. Um, so yeah, it's 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 pretty tremendous, and it's a it's a blessing to have a platform like, like as you know, I mean, to have a platform to speak about the things that you're passionate about. It's it's uh, it's a gift and it's an honor. Right, and through our life experiences, right? Because right. I mean, broken people came from your own feeling of being broken. Yeah. And I really appreciate you bringing up the fact how some people aren't going to like that term because right. for me, in everything that I do. I do as much as I can to reduce the stigma associated. And I think one thing that maybe kept me away a little bit was because I'm like, I don't want people to feel like they're broken. I want you to feel like you're whole and we all struggle. But hearing your explanation and why that helps so much because there are people out there that feel that way and we need to connect. And I'm very appreciative for you, your willingness to share your story because well, why don't we start there? Sure. Is tell us your story and why you feel broken. Wow, <laughs> that is. I mean, there's so many reasons. Like even in the back of my mind, while I'm like sitting here and struggling with some of the the like, intrusive thoughts that I have, um, that you know, say, you know, who am I to be sitting here on this other side of this mic talking to you? Like I'm I'm nobody, you know. And you are somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you are somebody and don't ever think that again. Yeah. Take that thought away yeah. and never bring it back. Well, and that's the thing is like I, I, I have these skills that I've learned to, to be able to address those. So like um, even though I constantly deal with these thoughts uh, pretty much all the time, uh, pretty self-destructive, hard thoughts, like I have great skills and a great community of people that support me and you know, ever since second grade, I, my, my teacher in second grade sat my parents down and said, hey, there's something that's just different about Joe. And they knew that I was a very caring person. Um, but the problem with me, the problem, I don't know if it's a problem so much, but it's like I, don't, I, I never knew how to put boundaries around how much I care about people. So I would end up caring so much that it would end up making me um, just, just doing too much. And I was really active in the in the church, uh, and and the the church I was going to at the time when I was first hospitalized uh, didn't do like there wasn't a whole lot of instruction about putting boundaries around how much you do to help people. And I'm just kind of the person like if you see a need, you like you need to step up and meet that need. And I had this mindset growing up in the the, the history that I had was like God will never give you more than you can handle. When uh, that's but but you can certainly give yourself more than you can handle. And what usually happens in the church. Uh, in, in my experience is that if you take on more than you can handle, it's not God's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's your fault for being overzealous. And when you're not given the leadership to know about boundary setting, to know about health, you know, self-care, to know about, um, you know, just healthy living, uh, this is something that, you know, this is back in 2001, the, the church was just had no clue. And I don't yeah. even know if they cared. <laughs> the church I was a part of at the time, and, and things so much, so many things are changing. But um, I just, I just, I just know that I, you know, when I when I go to bed and I just think like I can't see myself living for another week or, you know, or or whatever. It's just like 
I just, I, how, how can I describe it other than I just, I must be broken because I, I, I can't, I don't understand why people don't like me. I don't understand why, why sometimes people get mad at me for, for no reason. It's like, there's obviously something wrong with me. No, instead of like, um, like for me listening to you and for me having some of those same, let's call them issues, right? Where yeah. it's hard to set that boundary yeah. mm-hmm. and you're an empath. And mm-hmm. so you see people, someone struggling mm-hmm. and you want to help them. And it's really hard because you don't want somebody to suffer. Yes. Yeah. And especially suffering like, like I do. And, you know, I have this thing called trichotillomania, which is, uh, it's a hair pulling disorder. And um, I don't know if you can see the patches on my face right now, like there's just some patches missing um, where I get anxiety and I don't know I'm doing it, but I'm pulling hairs out and I'm, I'm and this is kind of gross, but I'm literally yeah. eating my hair. That's what people with trichotillomania do. And I, I don't realize it until I'm actually doing it that I'm like, oh, I'm having anxiety right now. It's like, a, it's like a flag for me. But you know, when my face gets really infected, like I'm just like, oh, what is wrong with me? Why do I do this? You know, even Paul in the New Testament is like, I, I do, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. Like, there's, you know, I don't understand why, why that's the mm-hmm. case, and it just well, bugs the crud out of me. You know, so, so the, really, the purpose of you starting the support group yeah. and writing "Broken Like Me" yeah. is to give other people mm-hmm. tools. Because there's so many other people out there that are struggling with that anxiety yeah. or what other illness that they may be facing. Yeah. So that right there is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you do have a yeah. lot of skill because you self-published this book. Yeah. And you laid it out. You did, I mean, all of this this mm-hmm. book, which is was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you should never doubt your skill. Right. Right. And I'm I'm really happy that you found it because yeah. I think that's what's difficult for many when right, you you have that fear of starting this new platform like mm-hmm. your support group. Yeah. You have the fear of I remember talking to you via messaging about your book and you're like, I just want to sell ten copies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and look at now you have been an Amazon bestseller yep. with broken like me. Mm-hmm. On many different categories. Yeah. What are the categories? Oh, my goodness. Can you remember I, them? I know that one was bipolar. One was Christian psychology. I was a number one new release for three weeks, and I don't even know how many categories. Um, I, that's The bipolar one got, caught me by, by surprise because mental health, the genre, is so packed with so many excellent authors. Um, I, I, I remember getting out of the shower and just getting on my knees and just be like, thanking God. Like, I, I don't know how this happened, I, but... Uh, you know, I don't know what to do with this, but hey, you know, it, it's always been about with the, with the broken people thing with the book. Like, I don't care about selling a bunch of copies of books. It's it's about helping the person that's right in front of me, and having a heart to heart, honest to goodness, vulnerable conversation where you feel valued to me. Um, and I don't, you know, when I wrote the book, I, I wrote the book to one person. I, I had this person, that person in my mind, as I was. Putting all the things out. I don't know if you can see it when you when you read through the book. It says it says you, and it's it's directed towards one person. I wrote it for my for my wife, but I had to think about one particular person because I wanted it to reach just one person. Um, and I knew if I could reach that one person, then maybe there's another person out there that might pick it up and be affected by it. So that's what Broken People has always been about. I have a leadership team. I have directors in California, Tennessee, and then uh, one in Detroit. Um, and you know, I always tell them it's you know we, we we're fairly small for uh, for an online group, less than a thousand people, but we're in forty three countries. And what I always tell my group is, we're never trying to grow the group. We're never trying to grow 
And I think, you know, I think a lot of organizations get caught up in the capitalistic idea of, of growth when I'm just trying to make an impact on the people that we've been blessed with so far. And I think it's truly a value when you value what you have and you're grateful for what you have, then I think you'll probably get a little bit more. But it's never about that goal. It's just always yep. being about faithful with what you have. Yeah. And uh, if we never, you know, I, I hold my book like this with an open hand, hold the, 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 this thing I do called Broken People with an open hand. If it's gone tomorrow, I know I did my best. I know I was so honest. Like I'm sitting here hugging my stuffed animal as a support animal. Like I'm all about just like being honest about who you are and self-accepting. And there's a great, I just, I'm editing my book for an audio book. And I was going through the the chapter about the best friend you never knew you had and uh, how to learn to like yourself. So, you know, I'm kind of like, kind of speechless because you are so articulate you're so you're so well spoken and um taking this this risk right because it's a little bit scary <laughs> yes, but it is. <laughs> yeah but i also know that you know for me too it was like if i can help one person that's that's enough yeah and then for you knowing yeah. that you're helping more than just one person yeah. and this is just going to continue to grow yeah. so let's talk about the book and let's sure. talk about you came up with some tools, and one of my favorite ones mm-hmm. is what really got me to write my own book is the journaling, okay. because I journaled right after my husband's death all the way, mm-hmm. and I really took excerpts of that, yeah. then really wrote about why I started I Understand. So you have three main tools. Yes. And what are those? Well, the first one is the mental health scale. Second one is the journal, and the third is friendship. And they're written in order for a specific reason. I'm building a foundation with the mental health scale. Then I am creating or establishing a keystone habit with the journal, and I can talk a little bit about that in a second if you'd like. And then friendship is is one of the I think one of the really major keys to uh, amending your brokenness. Uh, it's more than exercise, more than food, more than medication, and there's a reason for that. And it's not that those things are not effective, but friendship helps you do those things, right? Be well, I definitely agree. And I think for, I understand it's love heals, right? Yeah. And yeah. comes from the most unexpected places. Exactly. So the mental health scale, I do love that. I have never used that before. Right. But what a way to check in. Yeah. Like what number are you? Uh, so talk about that. Yeah. If I can tell you where I was last night, it was really fascinating so last night I was a 6.2. And the way the scale works is it's a negative 10 to 10. And I just, I really just made this for myself like 10 years ago, just because I need to be able to communicate with my therapist and my wife. And if I needed to go to the hospital, I needed a simple way to say it because I, I, I got tired of saying things like, I just want to die. Um, and and when you, people, can I just ask you a question? Sure. When you said that, yeah. did you feel like you really wanted to die or did you just want some type of pain to end? Yeah, I think that... I think it depend, depending on the day, um, it's really hard to, I've, I've thought a lot about that. I don't know. I really don't know. I think in a lot of cases I, I, where, I, where I say that, I think I do want the pain to end. But then sometimes I just think the, the world would be better off without me. Yeah. And that's, I know that's not a great thing to say or hear, but it's the, it's the 
weird truth that exists in my mind that I that I fight. And I and that's why I have these tools to fight them in a healthy way. Well, on that, one of the most commonly used words after I talked to a suicide attempt survivor or even yeah. my late husband was burden. Yeah. You don't want to be a burden to your loved ones yeah. and you feel like they will be better off without yeah. them. Is that kind of how you felt? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I really encourage in, in our broken people group and in um is to seek out missing people. And people go missing for a variety of reasons, but usually in my case, and in the case of my friend that passed away in 2018, is he just didn't want to be a burden. So he isolated himself, and and I isolate myself. And and when that happens, whether it be you or a friend that you care very much about, flags should be going up, and and, uh, this this idea of if somebody's missing from your circle, your church, your, your school, or work, you need to show up especially if it's somebody that you, you love and be there and just be a presence in their life, letting them know that you care. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. So so how would I use the scale? Yeah, so the scale, the, to describe other scales really quickly, there's a positive 10 scale and a positive 1 scale that uh, mental health institutions most often use. A positive 10 scale is a 10, I'm doing really great, a 1, I'm doing really bad. But usually in that scenario, it's like the six or seven is the vital line. So it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for good feelings. Like eight or nine or 10, you're doing good. Anything below seven, you're doing bad. I'm like, that's not fair for good feelings. Like we need to have more balance. And, uh, but then I was, when I was kind of writing this chapter, I was like, well, what other scales are out there? And then I found a positive one scale where one is good and 10 is bad. I was like, well, golly, <laughs> you know, it's like, where's the consistency? Um, and, and how do professionals communicate with like law enforcement or how do they communicate uh, across the board? with other professionals. So I'm just like, I'm just going to do this thing where my scale goes from negative 10 to 10. And I'm going to give you a quiz. If you're feeling negative, guess where your number is going to fall on that scale? Five. In the negatives. (laughs) Five. (laughs) Five. Well, you know, on a one through 10 scale, that's what I would think too. That's the median between one and 10. But if you're on the on the mental health scale, which my wife calls the Joe scale because I made it, but whatever. Well, it uh, could be the Joe scale because, you yeah. know, that's what would differentiate you from all the other scales, right? Because yeah, like yeah. you said, there's so many yeah. and which one do you choose? Yeah. And if the Joe scale makes more sense, yeah. go with the Joe scale. And I use it for my wife's cooking uh, all the time. <laughs> I, I use it for everything. And that's what I encourage in the books. Like use the scale for everything um, to be able to rate everything. If something, if you don't like something, then it's a negative. If you like something, it's a positive. It's kind of like a no-brainer, right? Yeah. It, right? Yeah. Um, and there's two significant numbers in there that are then really significant for me. There's a crisis number and there's a manic number. The crisis number um, is, for me, a negative six, and a manic number is a positive six. And that is strictly for me. So in the book, I have, at the end of every chapter, I have something called a utilization section. That's Y-O-U, utilization. Like, how do you take the concepts and ideas I'm introducing to you and make them your own because th- there are a lot of great authors out there that will, and, and I love self-help books, but I can't expect to take, whether it be a DBT skill from my therapist or uh, a self-help book from the library, I can't expect to do things exactly as they do them and expect the same results. So what I do is I walk the reader through and like, how do you use the mental health scale so that it reflects who you are? How do you journal so it reflects who you are? How do you set up friendships so it reflects who you are? Don't do it the way I do it, but let me walk you through and show you how to do it yourself. And so my numbers are negative six for a crisis number and a positive six for a manic number. But there are people that might have more tolerance for emotional crisis, and it might be like a negative eight for them. So a negative six for me, the crisis number is when I need to go to the hospital. 
when my friends hear me going at like if I'm on a pattern of like and my, all my all my best friends know this negative four negative five if they see that pattern of I'm falling back more negative then they kind of jump up and start encouraging me more like hey Joe I got I got a text this morning Joe are you showering did you brush your teeth did you eat like those simple basic things that really go by the wayside when you're dealing with an emotional crisis right you know so when you're in that negative or, or how do you connect with your friends do you just check in with each other asking what number you are today yeah a lot of times they'll it'll be if they haven't heard from me in a day like these these I, I talk a lot about the, an intentional way of doing friendship in the book that's just been a, a lifesaver for me. Um, and I've created layers of friendships and boundaries around friendships that really um, have helped me stay grounded. Yeah. <laughs> they check in, they, t- they text me, they call me, they stop at my door with chocolate milk and pizza. Um, and it's just a really, this, this what I call intentional best friends, um, is a small group of, of three people in my life right now that are just always there, sometimes annoyingly so. But that's what friends got to be, you know, right? Like um, um, to know that they love you and, and that I love them. Uh, one of my favorite things I did for one of my friends too is um, he has he was celebrating something. So I went to his door and I rang his doorbell and I had a bunch of hostess ding-dongs. So I, I ran from the door and started chucking the ding-dongs at his door. I was doing the ding dong ditch, <laughs> you know, an actual ding dong ditch. Yeah, and the daughters loved it, and uh, it was just a fun time. But yeah, so they always are checking in on me. They, you know, it's every other day or every day they'll text and just, you know, just say a word of encouragement. How you doing? I do it with them. You know, one of the big things about relationships that I talk about in the book is that the, the root word relate. If you don't relate in a relationship, then the ship won't float. And I think there's too many friendships out there where it's one-sided, whether you're always trying to like be kind to me and be helpful for me and, and you want me to be vulnerable too. But if you're not vulnerable back to me, there's no relating there. There's no connection there. It's, it's like you're being my doctor. You're not being my friend. I, you know, tell me about your vulnerabilities. Tell me about your pain. Tell me about the good things too. But you got to have balance. It's got to be not only equal, but equitable. And it's so hard to find friends like that. I mean, I feel like you're pretty fortunate to have three, mm-hmm. right? Because some people don't have, have any. And some will check in and mm-hmm. say, how are you doing, right? We don't have a number. How are you doing? And if I say, well, I'm kind of struggling right now. Yeah. Well, at least the sun is shining. Yeah. You know, they don't know how to relate. So to have these people in your life that can take the toolkit and actually use it right. to support each other is really a beautiful thing. Yeah, well, it's been a training process for all of us. And it's something I do every Thanksgiving where I reevaluate who are my closest friends. And I kind of make a, like a, a pageant or a, or, or a beautiful uh, expression to people where I invite them into a relationship for the next year. And I kind of talk to them, well, what, is, what, is it, uh, what is it meant to be, what I used to call 10 friends, uh, but now I call it intentional best friends. Like, what does it mean to be an intentional best friend? I write them a beautiful letter. I seal it in wax. Um, I sometimes will give a, a gift and just say, hey, will you, will you ride in this journey with me for the next year? And let's just support each other. Um, but I, I do want to go back and talk about the manic number where, where yeah, I was yeah, yeah. yesterday. So the manic number for me was anybody that deals with a mania, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to start four businesses. Um, I'm healed from depression. Like I read this book and I'm feeling great kind of a thing. Um, and that for me is a, a positive six. And yesterday I was at 6.2. Fortunately for me, I was in therapy yesterday too. And I was just telling my, my therapist, like, I'm going to meet with, with Vani and I've got this, this podcast in New Zealand tonight. And I'm just like, I was like all over the place. And then, I, and then a flag went up in my head. 
And I was like, how am I doing on my mental health scale? I'm, I'm like, I'm at a positive 6.2. And that caused a, a, a little concern for me. And I told my therapist, that's where I'm at, because she knows the scale, because I communicate with her. Um, and she said, well, what are you going to do? Well, I have this process called coping ahead. So I said, as soon as I leave my therapy, this therapy office, I'm going to call my wife. I'm going to text my three friends. And they have been like nonstop texting me, you know, what are you doing to cushion that fall? Because when you go manic, uh, you can you can drop really fast. You can you can tank really fast. Um, and so the skill that I use to kind of deal with that is this coping ahead strategy. Like, how do you deal with the struggle before the struggle's there if you know it's coming? So I communicated with all my friends. It's like, hey, I'm doing really great right now, and I'm a little concerned that I might drop off later. So can you check in on me? And one of the things I told them is that I have a plan. Like, when I go to bed tonight, typically when I'm feeling this way, I'll stay up to four in the morning watching TV and texting and emailing and try to help everybody in the world, which is that empath in me, right, you know? But I need to go home. I can watch a show, and I can read a book, and then I'll fall asleep. So they were texting me, Joe, what time is it, and what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I, the the support is just so incredible. And I, I think of that, you know, what you're saying when you're at that manic stage at that 6.2, and then you are you can go down. You, you are now aware that after that high, yeah. you're going to go low. Yes. And it reminds me of Robin Williams, right? Yeah, oh, Because yeah. people act so surprised. Well, he was so happy. He was so funny. He was so up. And I was always like, well, what you don't realize is mm. when people are up, they yeah. can go the opposite down. Yeah. And that's what we don't talk about. You can't live but there. that's what you're talking about. You can't live there, you yeah. know? And the other thing about experiencing that, that 6.2 that I had yesterday was it can it can be scary to anticipate that negative, that drop. And in the in the book, I encourage the reader, like, cope ahead, have a strategy, but also enjoy those good feelings. Don't just operate in fear. You know, and I and I it was it was took a lot of focus for me to not be afraid of the drop that did happen, but it happened way slower than what it would typically happen. And I didn't crash like I w- like I w- would typically, and I just enjoyed the feelings. And I told my wife, I, I feel great, and I'm not going to feel guilty for feeling great. And I know the the drop is coming, but I've got a plan, and I've got support. Well, and your ability to communicate that is pretty impressive. And I think that that's something that will be able to help a lot of people. And I also have to say that, you know, having a supportive wife yeah. and, and a daughter, because you write about your daughter and she writes a letter in the book as yeah. well about worrying about things maybe that she has seen or yeah. witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. But I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that because of your openness and your ability to share so much and your talent, really, your skill to develop this toolkit, mm-hmm to not only help yourself, but yeah. to help others, yeah. has to help you as a family. Yeah, and they, they knew about this. I mean, I, I, I came up with all this stuff just to survive for the last 15 years. Um, and I, I sat down with, a, with an organizational developer in 2016, uh, Andy Atwood, and I, and I presented all this stuff. I was getting my bachelor's degree through Grand Valley, and I was like, hey, I'm doing all this stuff. I got this Joe scale. I've got the way I do friendship. I journal. I've got like 25 journals at home to just stem way back and and he's like Joe it looks like you're waiting for just a, a catalyst a catalyst of an event to push you in one direction this is 2016 and then in t- 2000 and, uh, t- 2018 on January 25th I got that call about my friend and as soon as I got the call about the, the passing of my friend that conversation from 2016 where we had all of those ideas put on a whiteboard that are in this book right now 
came rushing back to me like the biggest call of God I have ever got. And I was like, I know what I got to do with the rest of my life. I know what I'm doing. And from that moment, it was it was insane. And uh, I, I just I'm not looked back and I'm, I got so angry. I got so angry and I, I got angry with with myself for pretending to be something I never was. I got angry for church and friends that had expectations on me that were just completely ridiculous and unrealistic. And I just started pushing back. And, and that's what I'm doing, pushing back. Well, one of my favorite things in the book, which you mentioned, is your utilization. Mm-hmm. Tell me, did you? that is your own concept, and you came up with utilization. Or is that something that's been around and I just have never heard of it before? I, You know, I, I came up with it, but my wife says that probably other people have used it too. I have no idea. I'm just like, how do I... I start, when I first started writing the book, I had a bunch of questions at the end, but I'm like, I never answer questions at the end of a book. Like, I don't want to just put something in there just so it's in there to fill a page. Like, that's not how I want to function here. So I'm like, how do I inspire thought? How do I take the ideas that are in this book and, and, and get the reader to truly think about in a creative way, in an inspiring way, the stuff that I've talked about? And, uh, and I really do want people to, to, to take ownership of it. And, and when you utilize something, it's, 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 it's taking ownership of it in your life. Well, it definitely is. And it's a call to action to ourself. Exactly. Which I, is, I love that call to action. Exactly. Which whoever calls action to their self, right? Right. But maybe with this toolkit, more and more people well, will. Well, you do in your journal. I bet. I in bet my journal. Yeah. So journaling, a quarter of the book is about journaling. Yeah. hundred pages. So talk <laughs> about journaling. Wow. hundred pages. <laughs> Talk about it in Talk 30 about seconds. 100 pages no. right now. Go. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's a, it's such an important tool and yeah. I truly yeah. understand the power that putting pen to paper or oh, for many people fingers to the keyboard. Yes. Um the power that it has. Oh, it's so powerful. It's you know, uh, Neil Pesricci, I quote him in the book and and he calls it a keystone habit. And what and and uh, the mental health scale is is probably one of the being able to communicate how you're doing is 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 foundational for mental health. But then the next thing I think is so important is the ability to reflect, or they call it cognitive um, reflection, or you know, thinking about what you think about, which is mindfulness, or DBT, CBT, as therapists kind of know of it. And, and journaling being a keystone habit, those are, it's, it's such a great habit that other, habits can, other great habits can be built on. So I talk about like scientific research that was done that, you know, how journaling can make you a better athlete, make you more financially secure. Literally journaling makes you a healthier person. Um, if all you do is journal, you become healthier. <laughs> it's it's No, I crazy. believe that. I believe that. So there's there's a lot about journaling in your book. Yeah. But Okay, so journaling is a part of the tool. So you yeah. use tools. Like yes, you have you use a reference of a hammer, yep. you use a reference of a nail. Yep. Explain your hammer and your nail, and what's the third tool? It's the measuring tape. Measuring tape, okay. Yeah, so the measuring tape, obviously, like when we're talking about a scale, you're, you're measuring how you're doing, and measurement is worthless unless you can communicate it, and, long, and, it and, and it's completely worthless unless you can communicate it universally. So I quote a, a study in there, uh, or a, something that happened with a Mars mission, uh, where Lockheed Martin... Uh, made their spaceship that was supposed to orbit Mars and and use the metric system to communicate. Uh, the, all the computer systems were set up for the metric system. And NASA was communicating in the Imperial system with the Mars rover, or whatever that thing was that was supposed to orbit Mars. So when they sent the data for the, the spaceship to get to orbit Mars, it's like, 
oh, it's pounds instead of metrics, so measurements were off, and it ended up crashing into Mars and lost you know six million dollars. So communications is key. Now the hammer, uh, it, it's um, it's a pounding instrument. It, it 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 you can do a lot of damage with a hammer, and you can do damage with a journal. Um, but I think it's just a, it's a I just you know it's a, such a simple tool like a like a hammer has two parts the claw and and the wood and they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes but there's a lot of different ways to do journaling too um, and there's a, and you know you can hammer with a journal but you can or you can hammer with a journal you can hammer with a journal <laughs> you can hammer points home and you can also remove things with a hammer too and you can remove things uh, like. Uh, lifestyle choices or habits, you can work to remove things from your life by journaling those things out. Um, and they're really great at driving points home. Like if you want to hit hard on a subject, you can journal and make an impact on your life, like a like a serious impact on your life through journaling. And if you connect it with the nail, which is your friendship, where you have people that are wedging into your life and, and creating a bond, because a, a, a nail is like this this bonding instrument between two, two pieces of something, right? And uh, and I think that's a great representation of of what friendship is. It, it brings people together. But friendship, but people can also be, um, and even friends can be hurtful, right? So if you don't handle a nail well, then you can hurt yourself or hurt them. If you don't handle a hammer well, you can hurt yourself or you can build. So for example, a way to hurt yourself with a, with a journal is all, if all you did because I, some of the research that's done on a journal is if it's like a magnifying glass for your life. If all you did was write negative stuff, then it's going to it's going to uh, it's going to like like my grandmother said in the I put this in the book. If you if all you do is you walk around with a frown on your face, it's going to get stuck that way. And a journal and a journal works that way. Like it, it just exemplifies or or magnifies what's already going on inside of you. So what I encourage people to do is like. Yeah, be honest in your journal and say what you got to say, but then reflect on it, you know, and and have this lifestyle of self-reflection. Um, and like a nail, you know, you people are selfish sometimes. People don't always have other people's better interests in mind, and and that can be hurtful. Yeah, and if you don't, yeah, that's so, sad but true. It's sad but true. But you know, we're human. Yeah, we are. And I human. think we need we need to be so much more gracious. With with everybody else, like we the expectations we have on humans is just I, I don't know. Um, it's just it's really high up there, and, and I just feel like it's 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 not healthy. How much have you know? I'm I'm a completely f- flawed person, and I think a lot of people deal with uh, with prejudices of all kinds, whether it be like male, female, race, economic, whatever. These are you know, pride is the mother of prejudice. You know, it's it's the idea that one group is better than another group, and it takes on a lot of ugly forms, and it certainly takes on a really ugly form when it comes to stigma and mental health, right? Oh, it, it so, it's so does, ugly. and and you know, and it's sad when we when we know that the number one reason why people don't reach out is the stigma that's attached, and I think that that's one of the things that we both are really working on to to diminish yeah. and and get rid of. So when you talk about these friends that can hurt you that have hurt you mm-hmm. and you clean house every thanksgiving and you kind of re- <laughs> reevaluate yeah how do you detoxify your friendships yeah so it's it's not really even a cleaning house so friendships go through phases um, and i think friendships like 
for seasons of life, you have really close friends and then sometimes they, they, they go away. So my intentional best friends is a small core group of really tight friends that you, you know I communicate with every day or every other day. These are the people that when I need something, I know who to ask. And I also make golly sure that they need something, they know who to ask. So it's just this mutual relationship that, that that's happening. Um, and But I have hundreds of other friends and people that have been on that intentional best friends list that are not on it this year. Like I started off with 10, but 10 is a lot to manage, especially when I'm praying for these people every day. It's, it's a lot of time to invest in, in people. And I just knew I couldn't do it this year. And um, so, you know, People come and go from this list and they understand like Joe does this because he needs to have boundaries. And I love all these people. Like it's, it's incredible. Like the love that I have for, for so many people that I'm able to do, but I can only focus and give so much time. Like if I'm going to buy a present for somebody for the birthday, like I want to buy it for 500 people that are my friends on Facebook or that I see at church or whatever, but I can't afford that. So I know I'm going to buy friend gifts for my three intentional best friends. Like that's my priority. That's where, that's where I And if I have a little bit more, I can do a little bit more for other friends. You know, I've got a friend that, that's been my friend for 25 years, went to high school together in Detroit. He's over here and he's been on my friend. He was on my friends list for, I don't know, like seven or eight years. He's not on it right now, but we're just going through phases of relationships of, of depth and shallowness. And, and it's okay. It's okay to realize that sometimes you're going to be closer and sometimes you're not. And acknowledging that rather than hiding it, um, just makes it all the more real and, and um, human. <laughs> yeah, and I think like friendships like your high school friend that, you know, you're friends for this many years, but then you may not talk for a couple of years, but then when you yeah. see each other, yeah. it's like no time in between has, yeah. has passed and yeah. you kind of get back to that, that moment of when you, you were close yeah. and that's perfectly fine. So Joe, tell me what has been the most rewarding aspect part of this project with broken people your book and the amount of people that you're touching i i mean there's been specific moments that have been really great and um i when the book came out um it landed on the doorstep of one of my intentional best friends and and uh he was at work and so his daughter came and picked it up and and um he told me, he, he asked me not to use this name, so I won't tell who it is, but um, she started reading it. And so one of the utilization challenges in there was to text somebody and ask them, like, what, were, what are some of my successes? You know, give me a list uh, of successes, because sometimes it's harder for us to identify those for ourselves. So my friend gets this random text from his daughter, like, hey, because he hadn't read the book, he has no idea what, what's in the book. And and she's like, hey, can you tell me some of my successes? So he messages her back, tells her all these great things. And he gets home and she, he finds out that his daughter's on page 80. And she's got the book that morning. And and he's like, oh, that you did a, a utilization section? He's like, yeah, this book is great. So um, later that evening, his daughter comes to him at night and is just weeping. Puts, puts her head on his shoulder and says, Dad, I love you. I don't want anything to happen to you. And and she'd been like through 140 pages or something like that. And just, I, I don't know what was going on in her heart and mind. I don't know what caused her to go to her dad and just, just express love, especially when there'd been some distance there. But it, it was something that impacted her from that book. And, and when I heard that call, it was like a week or two weeks after the book came out, I was like, I'm done. I don't have to sell another book. I know, right? Like, it's just the one, the one connection I wanted. And there's been... 
so many more. Uh, yeah, my mind is kind of racking at all the different ones that I can think of, but like that one episode was just like, I'm done. I don't need to do another thing. Like this is this is it. This is worth all the money I invested into it. Uh, and my wife, she's just like, Joe, just just follow your passion. Don't worry about the money. Um, you know, we 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 made it happen. She was a huge supporter of that, and and we don't have to make the money back, so that takes the pressure off. And I'm just like, she's just like, help people. That's what your passion is. So I'm like, okay. You take the pressure away, then uh, the finances. Then it's just like I can sit here with you, Vani, and and I have no expectations from you. I have nothing I want from you. I just want to help. I just want to to love you because you're the one right here in front of me, and you have, gosh darn it, you have value. <laughs> mm. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and and that really is a beautiful story. And it, and you know that moment that was shared with you with your friend's daughter. You know, there's many more out there that you'll never know about. Right, but. It's validation that they do happen. So, Joe, as we wrap things up, tell me what you want listeners to know about you. What is one last thought you'd like to leave with them? Yeah, I, you know, I was just talking about the the best friend that you never knew you had. And um, I think one of the the hardest things And one of the best things that really make you a good friend and, and really help me to kind of deal with my own brokenness is to really learn to like myself. And, <clears throat> you know, the fact that I'm sitting here holding a stuffed animal, like that's something that a 45-year-old man typically doesn't do or will, will admit to. But I think if we had more people that were willing to admit to the unique things that they enjoy, like, for example, I'm a really big fan of right angles. I'll look around, I see a right angle. I don't know what it is about right angles, but I love them. Or the smell of gasoline or whatever. You know, people have things about themselves that is unique to them. It's a passion to them. It's something that catches their eye. And I think all too often we try to pretend or we think that that's not socially acceptable. So we push those likes, we push those passions away because it's not, it's not okay for people my age. You know, it's not okay because I'm a man. It's not okay because I'm a woman or I fit in some social class or whatever. It's not okay. Bullcrap. You know, we have to be more honest about who we are with who we are. And a journal is a great place to do it. And friends that are your intentional best friends are safe places to really kind of work through that. And and I love what Jesus said. Like he, he gave two of the, of the greatest commandments throughout history. And one of them was love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus realized that... You know, I always read that verse as saying, love your neighbor better than you are and definitely more than you love yourself. And what Jesus was saying, love your neighbor as yourself, like that standard for loving your neighbor is how you love yourself. So you're never going to love your neighbor more than you love yourself. And that began to challenge me is like, wow, I can't possibly love my neighbor very much because I don't like myself very much. Mm. And, you know, and if you're an empty cup, we're sitting here drinking tea. And if the the tea is just not there, you know, I'm not going to get nourished by an empty glass and what what good do I think I'm doing if I'm if I don't if I don't if I'm not feeding myself if I'm not loving myself and I know that the best thing I can do to be a dad to be a to be a husband to be a friend is um is 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 focus on me you know it's a, it's it's a great place to start it's not where it ends but it's a great place to start to be able to feed into other people and then it's from the overflow of how full I am that I can begin to pour into other people's lives. And it sounds like a really fancy way of just saying just to love people. 
Well, I think that your your wisdom, the self-awareness, mm-hmm. um, the skills that you have proven that you have with with your book and all the tools that you have created um, are, are very inspirational. And okay. I just want one more story from you. I want you, you have talked about your reindeer, <laughs> and I want you to share your reindeer story with our listeners. Yeah, so I have a reindeer. His name is Sloppy, and... Um, my daughter for I think it was for her birthday. It was his twenty first birthday. I bought her a reindeer from from Meyer. I was in Meyer and I was like, Oh, I wanna get her something really special from me and sometimes I'll go into Meyer with my daughters and we'll go by the stuffed animal section and I'll make my daughters feel really guilty because I'll have the, the the stuffed animals talking to them, and I'll pull them up like, "Hey, um, you should take me home with you" or something, you know. <laughs> and all these animals are trying to convince my daughters to take them, and they're like twenty and twenty three, so they're all like, "Dad, stop." <laughs> <laughs> so this this stuffed animal I got for my daughter, his name is Poppy. I gave I gave uh, him to my daughter, and I really. Like, it was a really soft reindeer, and I just loved it. I thought it was really cool. And my daughter would send me pictures of Poppy, like, you know, going through and reading some of my rough drafts of my book. Poppy Poppy would be, like, driving the car, like, all these cool pictures of Poppy having these great adventures. Poppy doesn't have a driver's license, by the way. I don't know how she pulled that one off. but And so I was having a really bad day, and, um, and I don't remember the exact circumstances around it, but my daughter knew that I was – I really liked stuffed animal and, and – um, so she found a stuffed animal that was very similar to hers, this stuffed reindeer at Meyer, and um, it's a dif- different color, and she picked it up for me and brought it over to my house and, and uh, yeah, just just connected with me in that way. And now, you know, we've got these matching reindeer <laughs> that, uh, you know, I just kind of carry around with me just to, to be comforting. And, and uh, that's my, I call it, what did I call it, my... Um, emotional support reindeer. <laughs> well, and it looks like it's comforting and oh, it's, it's definitely so a connection to your daughter. Yeah. I love soft things, you know, like why can't, yeah. Yeah, why not, right? Yeah. So where can people buy your book and where can they find you? Yeah, so my book is on Amazon. Um, that's where it is right now. And you can find me at my website and you can also find a link to the book on Amazon through my website, which is www.broken-people.org. And when you get to that website, there's just it's a really cool website. Um, I I don't have any web design history. I just created the website based on what I thought would work for me. And there's two buttons on there. There's one I feel broken, or I care about someone that feels broken. And when people go to that website, they can click on there. It begins to if you click on I feel broken, it takes you through this 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 wonderful maze of like how do you cope with that and and what exactly are you feeling and what are some of the resources out there for you as well as the i care for somebody that's broken there's there are resources out there for you to know how to love somebody in a healthy way that may feel broken and then there's the link for the the book there too but um yeah well i really enjoy this conversation with you and i really appreciate you you being here and i can't wait to to have this air for other people to learn more about you and your book broken like me an insider's toolkit for mending broken people well i'm blown away that you wouldn't want to talk to me i read your book and i'm just like wow finally wants to talk to me this is fantastic and you know you're just your, your story is powerful and it's you're doing so many amazing things with it like what a gift uh, what but but it's like it, it comes from the same place where why and where why you do yours, you know, and it yeah. all comes down to helping people and it yeah. comes down to me not wanting other people to go through what I went through. Absolutely. And bringing that understanding to something so difficult to understand. Yeah. So so thank you again. We're going to keep our eye out for you and we're just going to watch you grow. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.
You can't help but to have heart for a man who carries a stuffed reindeer with him named Sloppy. Joe is a pleasant surprise. He beats to his own drum, and by doing so, he has discovered ways that have helped him through his own personal struggles, and he genuinely shares those tools with others. Joe is self-described broken. I describe him as inspiring, wise, and touching the hearts of many, simply by living and sharing his truth. Would you like to learn more about Joe and his coping strategies? His number one Amazon bestseller, Broken Like Me, is available on Amazon. Broken People, a mental health support group, can be found on Facebook. Thank you to our community partner, Bigby Coffee, for your continued support, allowing us to start the conversation with a Bigby beverage. And thank you to Stuart Poltrock at Soundpost Studios for making us sound so good.